0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Friends of the Force, a Star Wars podcast. I am your host, Brad Whipple, and on today's show, we are talking about Star Wars Into the Dark by Claudia Gray. It is the third book released as part of Star Wars The High Republic Era, which just recently launched in January. We are now in February. Hard to believe. Joining me, as always, if we're talking books, we're talking with Sarah, Sarah Haas. Welcome back to the show, book guru. Calling you that, it's gonna catch on. We'll make t shirts. Oh, thanks! It's thanks. great. Change your handle on Twitter to Book Guru Sarah Ooh, 221. That
1: sounds like a very scary, um, like name to put on my Twitter handle because then people think of me as authority, which is like the mm. opposite of what people want, I want people to think of me as on the internet because that puts a lot of pressure on a person. I do love books though, so I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Sarah, it's good to have you
0: back, because we have recorded a couple episodes so far to start the year. We did our preview episode, Light of the Jedi, A Test of Courage, and now this is our third and final installment of this first phase of The High Republic. We've come so far. So many tags in our book that we've had to take out and translate to a Google Doc. So much work, Mm -hmm. so much blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. And we made it. Mm -hmm. We got like, you know, at least probably somewhere between... 20 to 35 pages of notes yeah uh, I would say even maybe closer to 50 honestly we
1: uh,
0: we went above tw- and beyond the two of
1: us I have I, I mean I have a google doc that is not one of our shared google docs so that's probably somewhere near accurate <laughs> like 35 pages or of notes or so
0: <laughs> this is this is why me and you just talk books now because we we just have a lot of notes. There's just yeah, a lot of things going just, on. Yeah. We can't put that on anybody else, really.
1: No, no. <laughs> That'd be kind of cruel, I
0: think. I'm excited to talk about Into the Dark because we love a good Claudia Gray book. When was the last one? Master and Apprentice? That was Master almost two apprentice. years ago. Yeah. yeah. Celebration Chicago, the Master and Apprentice uh, exclusive edition came out then. Mm-hmm. And it's been... been like pretty much what 22 months and now we got another claudia hit and we're waiting on the next one at this point now oh
1: boy you saying like 22 months really just oh boy
0: yeah (laughs) scary stuff i know i'm sorry for those of you listening who are just like now having a quarter life crisis like we are We're just sitting here, being like, "What's going on?"
1: That means our friendship is almost two years old. How exciting is that?
0: Wow! Oh my gosh, you're right. Mm -hmm. This podcast is almost two years old too. Look at
1: that! I love that. That's so exciting. But also, like, it's just so weird to be so far from that convention.
0: It is. It feels very weird, and it just feels very weird that we're still in lockdown mode. But at least we have our books, and we can be safe inside reading all day long. And we are going to hit that Goodreads goal this year. We keep saying it every episode. We're gonna hit the Goodreads goal. It's gonna happen. What's your Goodreads yeah. goal, Brad? Uh, I think my Goodreads goal is like fifty-five or something.
1: Okay. So, what about you? I'm at seventy. Mm. Um, la- my my goal in the past years. We might have talked about this before, but my goal in past years has been um like fifty-two, fifty-three, like a book a week. Um, but I read 115 books last year, so I really wanted to kick it up a little bit, but uh, in a doable manner. So I hope we'll get it <laughs> this year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, to all of you out there who have been reading along with us and listening to our episodes, we hope you enjoy because we are going to be covering so many Star Wars books this year. Your head's going to spin. So many. And I'm excited to talk about what our next books are after this episode at the very end. So if you want to know what's next, stay tuned. But, Sarah, we're going to talk a couple things today. We're going to start with some High Republic news. I think that's always a fun way Mm -hmm. to kind of introduce the episode and talk about what's happening because we definitely have been getting some reveals even between our different recording dates mm-hmm. and then we'll have a spoiler free section as we've had for previous episodes and then we will just kind of go full spoiler discussion on into the dark and everything around the force the the nile the drangir all of the above it's just going to be a grand old time and i'm, I'm super excited because this book had a ton to talk about. A ton of fun stuff too and Claudia is very very humorous in the way she writes and I love it. It's yes. so good. Yes. Yeah. So, kick us off with our first bit of news.
1: Oh my gosh, our first bit of news um is uh do we want to go in chronological order from when it happened or chronological order from today backwards? I mean like what do you, what do you want me to start with?
0: I I think I know what you want to start with, Sarah, cuz you you love a good bookshelf <laughs> I aesthetic. Said-
1: Okay, I really I really just want to talk about Star Wars Del Rey's like Del Rey's switch from mass market paperbacks to trade paperbacks. (laughs) This was the most welcome news. Let me tell you, I know some people are very, very attached to their mass market paperbacks. And if that is you, I am sorry that this is this is a change that's happening. But I can't relate. I really can't. I'm so sorry. Trade paperbacks are king. Um, A good floppy paperback. There's nothing better. And I, as like as a person who works in a place that shelves all of the Star Wars Del Rey books together, it is kind of weird to see like three hardcovers and then like 15 mass markets. And I don't think that is very attractive to new readers, and to readers of like demographics of readers that. Are younger, um, and that I think generally are like women, young women. Um, it, because if you think about um, the romance section, the romance section publishes initially in trade paperback. Uh, some romance publishes initially in mass market paperback, but those are some, often two different styles of romance, and they're often for two kind of different kind of um, groups. But my point being. Trade paperbacks are awesome, they're floppy, they're a little bit larger, they're cute, uh, and I love them, and I'm still really, 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 really excited about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I love trade paperbacks, especially for the floppiness.
1: The floppy! I mean,
0: one thing I will say is if you love your mass market paperbacks, don't send hate messages to Del Rey, because apparently oh. Tom was getting oh my- a lot of nasty GMS, and I'm sorry, Tom.
1: I just wanna That's unfortunate. Say, I just want to say, how dare anyone... How dare anyone? I get How it. How dare? I, I get it. If you are a collector, if you have every Legends paperback novel in mass market, I can understand that this can be an upsetting moment. But in no way, in no way does it mean it is okay to harass anybody over this change. Like, I don't like mass market paperbacks. I'll talk about it on my own time. But like, I'm not going to go yell at anybody about if they publish a mass market paperback. That's fine. That's their choice. That's, that's what makes the most sense for the, the publisher and the buyer who they're, who they're targeting. But like, c- come on, people. Have Check a yourself. little bit of class. Just yeah. the tiniest bit. Um, so if you did that, shame on you. You should be ashamed. And if you didn't do that, good for you. You were yeah. a decent person.
0: <laughs> yeah. Congrats to being a good person.
1: Yeah. And I congrats will say
0: the bare minimum. <laughs> Victory's price will be the last mass market paperback to fit the rest of the Alphabet Squadron trilogy. So, I don't know. I might buy it in mass market just to kind of have the final mass market Star Wars book. And of course, it's one I would love too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that's that. That would be a good thing to have. But I'm very excited that moving forward, we're gonna get trade paperbacks. Very excited. My shelf will look a little bit better when you put the paperback up against the hardcover. Yeah. And it's just gonna look a little bit more consistent, which I'm very yeah. excited
1: about. And so. I will say that Disney Books is already doing that. Their mm-hmm. their copies of things like you know Queen's Peril and Shadow, Lost Stars, Leia, those are all out in trade paperback formats as well. And they look great. Leia Princess of Alderaan specifically looks awesome in paperback so um i hope that if you're a mass market fan you can still enjoy uh the trade paperbacks and the good thing is the hardcovers are here to stay so it's all good in the hood we're good here it is we're good here we're good we love a good hardcover so
0: yeah so our next bit of news is the high republic show hosted by christina Ariel, has launched it is awesome. It is a lot of fun. It includes a lot of great interviews, some cool reveals. That's gonna be once per month. So expect to tune into that because if you want like the next bit of High Republic news to get you through to the next release, I think that's where you're gonna kind of get the the piecemeal reveals of of what's coming and very, very exciting stuff. But before we get into what was revealed on this last episode, definitely want to address the elephant in the room and talk about. You no, know, just the fact that, that there's a lot of, of hateful rhetoric and awful things that were thrown towards Christina over the last couple of weeks, and it was really great to see the Star Wars community come to her defense, but nobody should have to go through that. Uh, if you're having a problem with somebody, you know, pointing out that systemic racism exists, or you don't think it exists, or those sorts of things, you're wrong. It's, it's, it's something that, like, it's something you can't deny. And if you do deny that, then this probably isn't the podcast for you to listen for. But we fully support Christina and the work that she's doing. She's a wonderful, wonderful person. If you follow her on her Twitter or Instagram, you see just how passionate she is about what she does and how much she loves the things that she discusses, whether it's Marvel or Star Wars, like she just loves everything. And she's positive. She's a great host. They couldn't have picked a better person. Mm-hmm. Very lucky to have her as part of the Star Wars family at this point. And if you're, if you're getting on her case and if you're being, excuse my French, an asshole, check yourself. Figure out what's going on in your life to be that way and stop being that way because it's, it's really not right and it's not right to anybody.
1: Yeah, I, I will echo what you said in that Christina is an excellent host. This is an excellent first episode. It, it far exceeded my high expectations of the show. Just you know, talk about the show itself. But Christina seems like a lovely, lovely person. And whether she's a lovely person or like not someone you you'd mesh with, it's not okay. It's not okay the hate she received. And I, I also think we have to realize as a fandom and continue to root out um, the the bad actors in this fandom who maliciously, um, relentlessly go after people specifically women minorities groups that are often marginalized uh so you know just just look out for your friends um look out for the people in this community do you you know report block um report 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 when you see harassment uh or aggression it's not okay and um yeah I, I, it's it's so uh deeply upsetting to see Mm -hmm. that this happened to to christina to justina to to anybody
0: yeah yeah let's not forget justina is getting a lot of it too for sure
1: whether they be a fan or creator we have to do our part to um really be better about this and it is a community-wide effort and i think it's important to realize that these bad actors exist within this larger star wars community And even if it's a societal problem, we still need to do our part to root them out in this community.
0: Yeah, it is a fandom problem as much as a societal one. You're exactly right, Sarah. And we just have to create safe spaces. We have to call it out when we see it. And it just has no it has no place here. It's absolutely unacceptable. And again, if you are one of those people who are racist, if you're a racist, don't listen to this podcast. I don't know what to tell you. I just we don't want you listening to our show so there's no ifs ands or buts about it and you're just not welcome here but for all those who are good decent human beings and you came to her defense and you were vocal about it if you have a platform and you were vocal about it which if you have a platform you should be talking about this because you know big names in the fandom especially need to be addressing these situations and I'm really glad to see some of them are doing that but there's still a large portion of the fandom that isn't And we need to change that because we are all responsible for creating a a more safe space for everybody. And making actually Star Wars is for everybody true because that's often said, but it's often not felt to be the case by uh, marginalized people historically. So we really need to change that. And it's a group effort, like you said. So I want to talk about the actual show. Again, Christina did a, a fantastic job, Sarah. And the biggest news really was we got. I think the release date for Edge of Balance, I don't know if we actually had that before, but it's coming out on June 8th, and we're getting three characters, one of which we already know is Stellan Geos, and the other who is on the cover of the book is Lily Tora Asi, and we're getting another Wookiee named Arkoff.
1: Is he related to
0: Buriaga, Sarah, is the question.
1: I think it's offensive that you would ask that. Um. Not all Wookiees have to be related. Um. Not all people in the universe have to be related, Brad.
0: I know. But, like, what if they were brothers? That'd be kind of cool. Like, Wookiee brothers? We don't really see, like, Wookiee
1: family members. I'm just, I'm holding out hope. We need some more itchy and lumpy in our lives, is yeah. what they are saying here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I want to say, I think the other most important thing that came out of this episode that was like a little, it was not highlighted. It was just mentioned by Michael Siglain that this has been in his head since 2014. You know, we were initially talking that they had been working on this since 2018, but it's clear that they started production, like, you know, quote unquote, pre-production on this years prior which is really exciting to know that this has been um the further okay the further back that this project keeps going they're like oh yeah we had this we had this back in 2003 i'd be like oh my god (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) we've been doing this since 1967 what
1: incredible incredible um but no like the fact that they uh have been doing this for so long and have been thinking about this for so long is so exciting to me because it tells me that they know where they're going, that they know they want this to be a big thing, and it it, it makes me really excited, and it's excited to be excited.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean Sarah, I'm just feeling so good about Star Wars publishing. I mean, no matter what happens in television or like the movies, it's I love reading. That's why we're here. That's why we're just about to start talking about Into the Dark in just a couple seconds here. We just love books and The High Republic is just so much fun. It's just such a new world. It's so well thought out. It's it's not just one of those things that they're kind of slinging out just for the sake of the dollars, which obviously it's a for-profit business and they do want to make money. But also this is something that a lot of care and energy was put into a lot Mm -hmm. of thought. You know, it took them six, seven years to launch this initiative if it's been in his head since 2014. So, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty neat. I'm very happy to be here with you talking about talking about more books.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm glad we're doing this. I'm glad we're doing this. I, I like how we were like, Sarah's gonna be on for book episodes and then book episodes became like pretty much everything yeah (laughs) yeah Um, you know like i'm glad about it because books are great and again star wars publishing is really just at the forefront of new bold storytelling and i know that some people would disagree with that and say that no tv is or no movies are but i feel that you can do so much with the books that you can't necessarily do in movies or tv and so it's really exciting that this new time period this new initiative is starting out in publishing and the characters everything is great i love it and we're getting a TV
0: show called *The Acolyte* that is set in the High Republic. We keep forgetting that. I keep forgetting this at least. I but mean, that's
1: crazy. That's I didn't awesome. Forget about it. But I feel like it's so far out into the future, and it's going to be like set at the end of the High Republic that it's going to be a little bit different than what we're feeling in these books. I feel.
0: Leslie Headland, if you're listening to this podcast, which I'm sure you listen to every episode of *Friends of the Force*, <laughs> please. For the love of God, put Geode in the Acolyte. Whatever you do, get Geode in the Acolyte. Just in the background, like a chopper appearance in Rogue One. Like Geode just sitting in a cantina bar, just having a blast, having a night out with the boys. Back, taking shots. (laughs) Have him in there somehow on, you know, Coruscant. Do it. Put him in there.
1: That's
0: all I gotta say. You
1: you know how we talked about Geode doing keg stands? Yeah. (laughs) Geode, keg stand in the accolade. <laughs>
0: yeah, make it happen. Make it happen. Geode's a wild man. We're going to talk more about Geode in, oh, in just man. a little bit. So, yeah. no, no, not too many spoilers here yet. <laughs> but speaking of Into the Dark, Sarah, I think it is time now to turn it over to our discussion on Claudia Gray's Into the Dark. Again, this first part here is going to be non spoilers. So, if you haven't read the book and want to know our impressions, this is the time to listen. And then you can go read it because I know you're going to want to read it after we talk about it here. And you'll come back and listen to the rest. And if you've already read it, great. Welcome aboard. This train has just left the station. It is going to be a bumpy ride, but in the best way possible. It's going to be a great ride with refreshments. Oh. <laughs> with, with those nice little pretzel bags that you get. Uh, it's going to be nice. You're going to get the little, like, Sprite they put in a little plastic cup. Oh, heck
1: it's gonna yeah. It's going to be great. This it's is good. going to be great. So yeah. This is, like,
0: first-class treatment. <laughs> Sarah. Yeah. What are your overall thoughts on Into the Dark by Claudia Gray?
1: This is Claudia's world, and we're just all living in it. And that is okay with me. It's true. Yeah. Uh, this book is great. It is so much fun. The characters are all so well-crafted and round and truly interesting. And different from characters that we've seen before. Even if we've seen a pilot before, we've seen the Jedi before, we've never quite seen them like this. The more academic side of things, the more, uh, or rather, the less adventurous seeking type people, they're not warriors. Um, and I love them. These characters are excellent. I feel like they were made for me. If you're a person who loves books and history and history books, You will like the characters in this book just as much as I have, I imagine. So this was a book that really spoke to me. I felt like it was written for me, which is like the best feeling in the world. So I had a blast reading this one.
0: Sarah, I couldn't agree with you more. Like this book is just like a warm hug. It's like you put on a it's like you put on a Snuggie and you like sit in for the night and you read it and you just feel like you're at home with all your friends, even though we're all social distancing. It's great. Mm Definitely one of my favorite books of the last couple years. Uh, especially some of Claudia's best work, in my opinion. And maybe it's just because I'm on that High Republic high right now, but I really do think that this book progresses the story. It progresses the story of the High Republic forward in a meaningful way. It adds to things that have been introduced or talked about before, and also, it's weirdly enough, I, I read Light of the Jedi. Test of Courage and Into the Dark. And for me, that just personally was the best reading order. And I almost feel like Into the Dark was sort of the capstone of everything. It was sort of Mm -hmm. that, hey, you've read the first two. This is like your senior year for phase one of The High Republic in 2021. Like this is is what will kind of kick you off and make you want to wait for the next couple books that are going to come out. Like this is the proper final book to read before this long wait of, you know, until summer. And I think that just speaks to its strength as a standalone book to say, hey, we have all these interesting characters. We bring up all these interesting topics, but we don't, Claudia doesn't really over explain. She just kind of like picks your brain a little bit and and introduces these new concepts and you want to learn all about it, but in like the most appropriate way possible and in like a very impressively written way and something Mm -hmm. that like keeps you flipping every single page and being like, "I, I need to know more. I need to figure out like what's happening. And even though it starts a little slow, I think the first half of the book is really character focused. The conversations yeah. between them, kind of that intimacy on the on the on the uh, the vessel. It's literally called the ship is called the vessel, mm-hmm. which is hilarious. But that intimacy of all the characters talking and getting to know each other, and kind of building up to the very like climactic ending. And there's just mm-hmm. so much that this book went through. I was like not expecting whatsoever, and it was just such a great surprise.
1: Yeah, I feel like. This book was, in a weird way, the easiest read of the three. I don't know if you would agree with that, but it just felt so fluid. And so um, it moved on in a really, for me, at a really good pace. And it wasn't, um, Charles's writing is a bit more in the details. And because he was writing... The first book of this new era, he had to do a lot of establishment, um, and to do a lot of telling you what you're looking at, who you're looking at, why, what you're seeing, just in general. And I think there's a lot of details in that book, and it and it feels like there's a lot of details in that book. I think with a test of courage, when you're moving to the middle grade level, we're focusing a lot more on the emotions of the characters in very smaller, much smaller moments than we got in. Light of the Jedi, um, and much smaller stories in a way. And not in a negative way, but it is a smaller story. They're younger characters and they're going through a different type of adventure. For Into the Dark, I think we get a great mix of the detail and the action and the character and the plot. And it all just fits together like a beautiful jigsaw puzzle. And it just works. And I think it also sets us up for the most exciting vision of the future and i don't want to talk about the end but you know when you think about the end of the light of the jedi it's very ominous Mm -hmm. and you're scared and then you get to the end of this book and it's not quite as scary because i am hopeful for these characters in a way that the light of the jedi didn't quite allow me to be because that vision um um so i don't know it It just felt so fluid and so again like light of the jedi but in a you know different writing style both of them feel quite cinematic which is so exciting and so fun to read
0: it's almost like into the dark takes all the best pieces of charles and justina's book and like puts it into one kind of borrows that world building it borrows that smaller character driven story and it like puts the two things together and creates something that's just so compelling and just yeah well paced i i i i heard some people were saying you know the first part's boring i never felt bored i felt like every single word and sentence i was reading was something new i was learning about the character whether it's just subtle things about geode or funny one-liners from leox or the meditative moments with comac like every single thing is just so interesting And it's like i wanted to almost like put the book down after every single page and be like all right i want to think about this for a moment but i want to ask you like where do you rank this book amongst claudia's work and also how do you rank it amongst the high republic
1: these are both very difficult questions for me, um, because if you remember our previous episode, I had a trouble ranking in the first place. <laughs> um, I think for me, I loved Light of the Jedi, and I really did enjoy Test of Courage. But there's just something. Mm-hmm. Claudia's got a little special something. I don't know what it is, but it, it's real good. And maybe it was the fact that the first chapter of this book is just... <laughs> The best when Wreath is like, actually, let me read it. I'm just gonna read. I'm just gonna read the first line of this book because it's so good. Okay, Reth Silas was about to leave the Jedi Temple for Coruscant for his a pr- impressive new assignment on the frontier, and he was miserable about it. Like those, those vibes are perfect. They're perfect. So I, I want to say I rank this one at the top, but they're all so close to each other. Mm-hmm. Among Kaladia's work. I think I rank it entirely differently and rank it a little bit more in the middle, which is weird for me to say. And maybe I should return to some of those early books that I read, like Bloodline and Lost Stars. But those have such a special place in my heart that I feel weird about ranking anything above mm-hmm. them. And even, even Leia, which the end line too, I will never, ever forget in my life. So I think I rank it towards the middle of Claudia's work, but at the top of the high republic and that's not to say that the high republic is any less good than claudia's other work they're all good and i'm not good at ranking things
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i always i always feel weird about ranking things but I, i thought it would be an interesting question because i think when you rank things it could imply that you think the things that are ranked lower are like bad or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case with uh these particular rankings because I think mm-hmm. I think all three books are incredible that have come out for the higher public. I think all of Claudia's books are incredible. Every single one is five stars for me, like without a doubt. I would definitely say same with you Bloodline and Lost Stars, such a special place in my heart, but they're all different very different stories, right? Mm-hmm. But in terms of just like the actual enjoyment of the of the experience of reading it, I would probably rank this third for myself because it's just that new era, it's that new car smell, it's it's new characters, and you're getting to see Claudia Gray explore Star Wars and the Force in a completely new sandbox. Yeah. Which, have we ever got to see Claudia Gray do that? No, she's always been, you know, quote-unquote confined to things that we know, whether it's Leia or whether it's, you know, in Lost Stars, it's all of different eras. Like, this is the first time where you've kind of given... Claudia Gray like free reign for something I mean even Master and Apprentice was still Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon this is like some brand new character establishment that she's been given the keys to the kingdom and can do what she would like you know at the discretion of the story group and and that sort of thing but that's pretty cool that's a cool experience for her especially
1: I will say like we did get the new characters with Thane and Sienna Sienna um you know, but I mean, in, like,
0: more of kind of the larger picture of things, right? Like, Because even, like, Thane and Sienna yeah, are within right. the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy. And it's all stuff that we know. So this is, like, the first time we've seen Claudia, like, outside it's, of that, that barrier.
1: Yeah, it's a bit more building blocks. It can be a bit more explore, explorative in, yeah. uh, in its presentation. And, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, and it's exciting to see her really dive into the Force because we got some interesting tidbits with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. In mm-hmm. Master and Apprentice, but we got a whole new level of like Jedi and, and Force stuff because we had to really see. I think Claudia shine in this one. I don't know. Anyway, ugh, they're all so good. <laughs>
0: this, this book is definitely like if you were to read this and Master and Apprentice and Dooku Jedi Lost together, I would be I would be curious like what that's like mm, if you read yeah. those three like right yeah. in a row in some order or fashion. Like that would be. A pretty good time because i think they do build and i knew duke of jedi lost his cabin's book but i think there are some things in this book that are kind of connective tissue to that tangentially in some way which is pretty oh, cool yeah and we'll get yeah. more into that with the force conversation but yeah i would say this is definitely one of my favorites of the high republic era so far i can't rank them it's like picking your favorite child because they're all they all do something different and serve a different purpose and they're each different genres and mediums for readers but I would say if you're still kind of trying to figure out if The High Republic is for you, it, again, there is actually something for everybody. It's pretty incredible what they've done. I I've, I've just haven't seen something like it in Star Wars in terms of uh, publishing initiatives, and they're really sticking the landing. And I'm sure this is going to be a bestseller by the end of the weekend after we record. It's probably going to be on the bestseller list, I, I would it think. better.
1: Yeah. Um, but I will say, if you didn't if you read *Light of the Jedi* and weren't the world's biggest fan of it, and maybe it was um, your vision of the Jedi and the politics, and maybe it was the writing style just didn't click with you in whatever way, but you have liked a Claudia Gray book before, pick this one up because I feel that it really explores the Jedi in a different way, explores the four, it, like it, it questions the Jedi in its own way. It also has great characters throughout, Jedi and non-Jedi. It's adventurous. It's a little bit it's a little bit spooky at points. Yeah. It has a bit of everything. It has the action, it has the adventure, it has the character beats, it has loss, it has triumph. It has all the emotions. So if that was something you felt like you were missing, perhaps in light of the Jedi, because there, there's just so much stuff going on, give this one a shot. I would recommend this one. Claudia, I feel like you can't go wrong even when you don't rank that book, that Claudia book number one of your favorite Claudia books, if that makes sense.
0: Interestingly, you you mentioned the word spooky. I think this book was supposed to come out originally in October before the whole initiative got delayed just mm. due to COVID and, you know, publishing industry, that sort of thing. So I think this was like technically originally supposed to be a Halloween themed book in some way. Like it is a scary book. It's One of those things where we're, if we were reading it in October, it would have been pretty special, to be honest. I'm kind of envious of my, you know, multiverse self that got to read this in October of 2020 and, you know, (laughs) go out and celebrate at Halloween parties, but, you know, cool for him, I guess. But uh, this was a really (laughs) spooky book. If you like aliens, especially or Alien, the Alien franchise, this has got some big Alien vibes. Like, and just in terms of the creepy, creepy outer space maroon space station kind of you know no one hears you scream in space sort of Ah. feel it's some good
1: stuff it's but it's not like scary because i don't do horror horror. More creepy i'm 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 a baby like i can't do that stuff but i did when i was reading this book and i and i quote i'm quoting myself when i was reading spooky spooky (laughs) And I, and I was like, oh, man, we just got to a spooky, spooky part of the book. Um, It's fun. It's a fun spooky. So,
0: yeah. Well, I'm really excited. I can't wait any longer to talk about spoilers. So if you're listening to this, now is the time to turn it over to our spoiler section. And we are going to be talking all about this book, just super in-depth. And I'm... Uh... Really excited.
1: Yeah, now that we're in spoilers, I can't believe everybody dies. I can't.
0: Die. I, I can't I believe mean, it either.
1: <laughs> just, what, a, what a way to go. What a way to do that, you know? So this is
0: your last chance. Turn back now or continue with us. And with that being said, we gave you one final warning. We are now in the spoiler section of Into the Dark. Oh boy, Sarah. That's a doozy. Yeah. Well, we're going to start with our popcorn plot. We did this with Test of uh. Courage. Should be an interesting time. We're going to kind of go through the plot of the book Pretty quickly here, and just give a little overview of of what happened. So, why don't you uh, kick us off, Sarah? I'm gonna popcorn it over to you.
1: All right. Anyway, this is me opening my book here for you.
0: She's gonna read the entire book, by the way. Yes. All 430 I, I pages. I just want
1: to read that opening line one more time. Set the stage and scene. Wreath Silas was about to leave the Jedi Temple on Coruscant for his impressive new assignment on the frontier, and he was miserable about it. Anyway wreath des ryden orla jereni uh komak vitus all find themselves getting ready to go to the frontier who's there to greet them not any fancy ship or anything but this little vessel called the vessel led by leox gacy uh hollow and geode their rock hyper navigator popcorn plot
0: <laughs> so these folks all go into great unknown the final frontier of space uh some big star trek Vibes and some frozen vibes there for sure. But oh, yeah. They travel up, they start kind of flying through space, having some good conversations. Affie and Leox are learning about the Jedi because it's their first time going to Coruscant. Everything seems fine and dandy. What could go wrong? Everything, Everything. goes wrong. Literally the motto of the High Republic is what could go wrong? Everything. Everything. The Great Disaster happens. They find out it's probably the legacy run, which is pretty scary because it's a huge passenger ship. And they find themselves in the presence of a space station because they get thrown out of hyperspace. And here's this creepy-looking space station that was made by the Amaxine people. It's very hexagonal. It's very familiar to Star Wars fans, which we will talk about, and popcorn.
1: And they decide... Well, they don't decide. The world decides for them because there's a solar flare coming that they have to get on this ship or else they die. And they also have to save the folks that are also stranded out here or else they die. But it turns out not everybody's a friend. Not everybody's a friend of each other. So things don't go so great. They end up on this station, but there's a little bit of unrest. A little bit of chaos. Popcorn.
0: Bad enough there's chaos ensuing on the space station and uh, people are disagreeing with each other, let's just say that. Arms are flying off of shoulders and people are shooting blasters. Kids are getting kidnapped. It's the worst possible scenario you could think of. Even worse is the dark side is present and there's these statues on the space station. That all the Jedi think are containing the darkness. There can, there's dark side imbued within them, these old artifacts, and it's kind of holding a spell over the space station. So, to make the space station safe for future travelers, since this could be a really great waypoint, they have to take these things off the station. They have to bring them back to Coruscant, purify them, and make sure the dark side is completely dissipated into the cosmic force. So, lo and behold, they go through some stuff. Unfortunately, Des passes away, or at R. least we R. think Des passes away. He plays with some helix rings, and it blows in the smithereens. They, they uh, dwell on their sorrow, and they travel back to Coruscant
1: and Popcorn. Well, they've got the statues with them, and uh, we love some artifacts here. And they take these artifacts to the Shrine of the Depths, where they do a further spell on them, essentially, with the force, uh, to keep them in there. Uh, but wait, ah, uh, shoot! Says Comac, <laughs> I can't I left believe the oven on. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we totally darn messed this up. <laughs> Turns out, it wasn't the statues that were keeping the dark, or that were were manifesting the dark in the the station. But they were keeping the dark at bay. They opened Pandora's box. Yikes. Because they're kind of stupid. So they go, oh, crap. Oh, also, Jorah Malley's dead at this point. R.I.P.
0: R.I.P., Jorah.
1: <laughs> and they decide. Well, yeah. They make, it, they make a decision on their own. Not everybody supports it. That they're going to go back. Afi needs to go back because she's found a secret code. And the Jedi need to go back because they have unvision- unfinished business there. They have figured out that Nan is not who she says she is. They thought she was a lonely orphan. No. She's the Nile. Oh, dun, no. Dun, dun, dun. Not only that. Not only is she still there. The darkness has been let out. And we all know that once you open Pandora's box, you cannot put things back in. So they go back. Popcorn. <laughs>
0: Lo and behold, there are a ton of Nile ships when they get back. At least one big Nile ship. And they're like, oh, God, this could not be worse. What could go wrong?
1: Everything. Everything.
0: So they mm-hmm. get on the space station. find, Come to find out there's killer plants everywhere called the Drangir. Wreath gets thrown off the space station in an escape pod to some planet where the Drangir are from. Dez is actually alive. He's being poisoned Surprise! and tortured. And... He, he's disconnected from the force. He doesn't really know who he is. Like almost like a mind wipe in a way.
1: Mm-hmm. They fight
0: each other. Wreath rescues Dez. They come back to the space station. Uh, they do the ritual to put the, amu- to put the statues back in place and contain the Drengir. But then the Nile come out and start attacking them. They go, well, actually we should bring back the Drengir and let them fight the Nile. <laughs> so then they redo <laughs> the curse. There are so many curses in this book being done and undone and done and undone yeah. again. So much. The Nile and the Drengir fight each other. Wreath makes a very, very big sacrifice. He opens up the airlock, lets everybody out, saves the day. They get off the space station. They go back to Coruscant. Mission accomplished. The Jedi are like, don't do it again. And he's like, I won't. But you know that won't hold up because this is the High Republic, folks. And that's pretty much it for the book. And Comac takes on Wreath as an apprentice. And the Nile, at the very end, we get our boy, Martian Rowe. In the prologue or in the epilogue, saying, hey, by the way, the Jedi are going to hate their lives. And he's talking to Nan when he says that. He's like, hey, Nan, listen. They're going to hate their lives very soon. And you're going to help me do that. You're going to help me accomplish that. So the Jedi are screwed, basically. Yeah, she's like, cool, I'll do it. Wreath betrayed me. It's fine
1: so that's pretty much it i think uh within that we should also mention that um geode saves wreath um, and because he's about to sacrifice himself afi finds out that um the uh, the bind guild is uh using indentured servants to um pilot their force which she's not thrilled about she turns in her foster mom scover bind i mean dang dang tough life dang for, maybe you shouldn't have indentured people. I don't know. Yeah. You know,
0: I think you'd have to write that one down, Scover. Unbelievable. Well, that's pretty much it for the popcorn plot, Sarah. So I think we can really get into the, the nitty gritty of this book. So Yeah,
1: where do you want to start? What do you want to talk about?
0: Let's start with the characters because I think they're uh, an exciting bunch. We're going to hold off our conversation for Orla and Comac when we talk about the force in a little bit. But I want to start with Reith because, My baby boy. you know, when you talk about that opening line of the book and Reith's whole MO of this book is that he loves books. He loves the archives. He loves studying and figuring out how things work. He's very trustworthy. He likes to take on responsibility. He works very hard. He, quote, embraces his bookish ways. And, you know, where some Padawans might prefer lightsaber dueling, he just loves studying and being in the library and loves his books. And his favorite class is ancient history. Like, he loves just learning. So he's really relatable. So he's just kind of always considered Coruscant his home his whole life. And I think that's something, like, I personally related to because I moved a lot growing up to different places. And whenever Mm -hmm. somewhere would feel like home... My parents would be like, "Hey, guess what? We're moving somewhere." I'd be like, "That's the middle of nowhere. Why are we moving there?" And then I would kind of find myself off on this adventure. And if I just sort of opened my mind and and let life take me by the reins, I would kind of find, you know, hey, even though this is quote the middle of nowhere, there's some opportunity here. And I think that's kind of what Wreath learns throughout the book is even though he's going to miss the glittering prosperous ascendant. City of Coruscant, the skyscrapers, the busyness, his view from his room where he can see the whole cityscape, but also be close to the library. It's the perfect location for him to be living in. Amen. He realizes that, hey, actually, there's a lot of work I can do that's valuable outside of those confines. There's stuff I can do. There's a whole nother path out there for me. My master, Jorah Mali, her last dying wishes before, before she died was to have me go to the Starlight Beacon and start a new journey as a one, and I have to fulfill that but I also realize now there's value in that and so I think his journey in this book is really beautiful and I personally related to it a lot because I love studying but I've also moved a lot I've never really gotten somewhere to call home uh, until like maybe the last 10 years or so but he's a pretty cool character and I think he goes through a lot and despite the loss and grief he feels he never really fully succumbs to the dark side or feels those intentions. He always keeps his master's words in his mind and her wishes. And I think that really speaks to his strength and his knowledge and his wisdom at such a young age.
1: Yeah, I think that he's so interesting because he's so unlike the other Jedi we've seen. We see young Jedi Vernestra Rowe in A Test of Courage, and she is just a shining beacon of awesomeness and she's so great and she's so good at everything and she gets to move up and be a full-fledged knight when we see anakin anakin he desires a place he desires power he desires to be respected and wreath is kind of unlike these characters he's not a fighter he's not an adventurer he still doesn't love adventures But he recognizes that he has to go on this adventure in order to grow. And I see myself in him in a little bit different way. I, unlike you, have lived in the same place for nearly 20 years. Pretty much my entire life, I've lived in this place. And uh, when I went off to college, I wanted to go to a place that would challenge me, to a place that I know would be good for me, But would be difficult. And I did that. I moved to the city. And that was a challenging place for me. Adapting to a new social environment was challenging, but also adapting to a new landscape was as well. And ultimately I learned how to thrive. And I see that with Reith's path as well. He feels like he knows who he is, in the sense that he loves to study. He loves the library. He knows that he's good at these things, and he works really, really hard to be good at everything to the best of his ability, even though he's not the, you know, the typical Jedi. But when he has to go on an adventure, he recognizes that this is the right thing for him to do because it will mean he will grow. He, uh, will grow in the process. And I think that's what's so beautiful about him asking Comac, uh, to be his master at the end of the book is recognizing that he still has an adventure to go on and that he still has ways to challenge himself that will allow him to grow and better fully realize himself. And I think Comac's reply, and we can talk about it more a little bit later, that, you know, Wreath will be a teacher to Comac as much as Comac will be a teacher to v- uh, to to Wreath. I- oh, it's all so good. I love Wreath Silas at, at the end of the day. <laughs> He's just great. He's great.
0: Yeah, he goes through the ringer in this book, too, because really, like, the core, like, the two-pronged relationship that he has in this book is sort of to Dez. So there's Dez Ryan, who is Jorah's first Padawan, which I think is really cool. And and he kind of still keeps in touch with Dez, and Dez is kind of the cool guy on the Jedi grounds. And then there's Jorah, who's, you know, his master, and she recognizes that Dez is kind of the more the adventurous type And she also kind of recognized that that got Des in the trouble sometimes, and it wasn't always the best thing. But for Wreath, he's kind of the polar opposite of that. He's very, very, very bookish. He thinks that information is as vital as air, and he can never accumulate enough of it, right? So Jorah, like right on page two, she says, his strength in the Force isn't remarkable, not among the Jedi, but Wreath works harder than almost any Padawan I've ever known. He tuned into my thoughts, not through his natural gifts, but through effort of will and he did it faster than the naturally gifted ever manage. He'll go farther than many of them, perhaps in the ways he doesn't yet understand. So she sees a lot of potential in him. And she knows that, you know, it's not just about effort, even, even though effort always counts, but Wreath has enough talent that he can do anything he sets his mind to. And I think that kind of sticks with him throughout the book that, yes, even though he has a little bit of a, a kerfuffle with the people on board the Amaxine station. He still protects Nan, and he still kind of rises to the occasion with that lightsaber. And he still rescues Dez, even though he's facing probably the biggest threat of his entire life with the Drengir and, and what they present to him. But he rises to all these occasions throughout the book with almost what it seems like no sort of hesitation on the outside. We know his internal dialogue and like what he's thinking, but once he actually makes the choice to take action, it's like flawless. He executes it flawlessly, and I think that's because of his, his will his talent, his knowledge he's studied these things so he knows how just things work and he he's very analytical and even dez tells him hey you know a lot of knights want adventure but we also need knights who just want to study because like the force there needs to be balance both with the force and within the order we need kind of all sorts of jedi and I think that's what creates a better order—is just having people that are specialized in certain areas. And I think that's why Wreath is really cool because he's just unabashedly himself, but he can mm-hmm. really rise to the occasion when he needs to and be a leader and be be a
1: hero. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that, like the order is better when there's all these different kinds of Jedi who specialize in these things, because I don't think the order fully recognizes that. I think the they order don't. wants people to be warriors. And while adventure can help somebody along their path and growth, and I think it's fundamental to that, I don't think that everybody is meant to be a warrior. And I think perhaps that's something that the Jedi completely lose by the time of the uh, the fall of the Republic, um, you know, 200-some years later. But uh, I wa- it makes me wonder if Wreath uh, will ever get back to the books. Mm-hmm.
0: What did you think of his relationship, though, with with Jorah and Dez, whom he thinks that he loses both of them at one point in the book? And he kind of has that moment where he goes to the Kyber Arch, which if you want to even talk about the Kyber Arch question, that kind of plagues him the entire book and what he kind of understands it to mean by the end. But do you think he did a really good job of sort of compartmentalizing his pain and working through it and kind of never wavering from the path and like why do you think if he did that successfully like why do you think that is is it just his commitment to those who have come before and the people that believed in him
1: i mean i think he has a lot of respect for those that came before i think he because i mean as somebody who is somebody who studies history he has a lot of respect for the things that come before and that's why he spends the time researching and learning about it because why would you learn about something if you don't have any respect for the people who wrote it down or for the you know the history itself um but i also think that he shouldn't have to compartmentalize his pain and it sucks that he has to do that and it sucks that he um feels that he loses both of these people at the same time, because they both meant a lot to him in different ways. And he was hoping to get to a new phase of his relationship with both of them in different ways. You know, Des maybe be able to become more of a mentor type character. Jorah is going to be able to tell him something, I guess, out in the unknown in in, in in tell him something new about himself and about the Force. And to me, it's a bummer that we do not get more Jorah Mally because we got a little bit of her in that one interlude in Light of the Jedi. We get a little bit of her right in the beginning in the prologue but she seems so freaking cool and it's sad yeah. that she's died um but i hope that her legacy will live on in these characters as for dez uh his his story is so interesting and and jora's choice of padawans between dez and reef is is fascinating to me because they are just polar opposites but i I feel like i don't know how to talk about the kyber arch i I think it's all about you know community and and interest but the kyber arch itself is weird and a little um sobering yeah and i I love
0: how dez is like hey if she asks you to figure that question out there's probably a reason for it but people do it all the time they always cross it alone but if she's asking you there's a reason and i think He keeps trying and trying to figure it out. And I really think it does boil down to community. Like, nobody crosses the Kyber Arch alone because everybody who came before made it possible to be here today, to be Mm -hmm. able to cross the Kyber Arch. Yes, I'm walking across it now, but all those Jedi who, like, fought for peace and justice and were guardians and allowed this temple to exist and this community of people to exist is the reason I can cross this arch. So. With that in mind, I realize that I can't just sit inside my books all day and study. I can be out on the frontier making a difference. And 200 years from now, during The Phantom Menace, when Anakin Skywalker is studying, he can think of those who've come before as well, and he can look at the story of Reith Silas. But if Wreath just sits inside his study room all day and does nothing there's only so much he can do to be remembered in the books and to like make an impact and to contribute to his community. And I think that's sort of the whole idea of like the hero's journey and star Wars Mm -hmm. is embracing the call because the idea of the hero is that they reject the call initially and they don't want to take on the role of the hero and they want to stay with what's familiar, that ordinary world. They don't want to transcend to the special world. And it's sort of funny how there's such a distinct look between the special world and the ordinary world in this you know the ordinary world is Coruscant it's familiar but the special world is the space station that's very luscious and full of life and nature and plants and it's so distinctly different so you know he he kind of rejects that call initially but he realizes that he needs to embrace the call he needs to rise to the occasion he he needs to be the Luke Skywalker that leaves Tatooine even though it's a little uncomfortable and he just wants to go to the academy you know Uh, wreath finds out there's more to life than just your books it's like bilbo bilbo baggins too you know Uh, bilbo sits inside his hobbit hole and he says you know like i i just like my books i like being here and reading my books on my on my porch and gandalf's like yes but there's so much more out there that you could do and you won't be the same when you come back but it's worth it because you'll discover adventure and you'll discover courage You'll, you'll get all these things that you wouldn't just get from sitting here and doing nothing, you know? And that's kind of the cool thing about, it's really a traditional hero's journey for him, when you think mm. about it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I love Wreath Silas so much, Sarah.
1: Me too. So awesome.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's great. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the subplot of this book, which, on the flip side of the Jedi, there was the Outer Rim, the people of the Outer Rim who lead these lives they're you know trying to kind of make a living for themselves and i think personified is afi hollow and liox gyasi and they have a really intimate relationship as friends but what's their deal and what kind of drives them in this book as as sort of uh, intriguing characters
1: yeah so when we met these characters we meet them we meet them perhaps as a last minute transportation to the outer rim were they always supposed to be the ones who were supposed to take them out there I- don't know to be honest with you, but we meet them as the rinky crew of the vessel, a ship called the vessel, and they are members of the Bine Guild, which is a shipping guild. Um, and they are just doing their best to live their life. Afi's parents died, they were pilots of the guild, and Scover Bine took her in as her own, and in this. She has been shuffled around between ships to learn kind of the ins and outs of the, the guild. And she's really found a home with Geode and Leox on the vessel. And when they are tasked with this mission to take the Jedi crew to the Outer Rim, there is a lot of fear that the Legacy Run is is holding Scover and maybe she's lost her her mom again. Uh, You know, both of her people who have served as mother figures in her life. But it turns out that everything is not as it seems, because for Affy the loss of her parents is still hurting, and she has not quite found her place in the Bind Guild, and she just wants to prove that she is enough for Skover and the Guild. And she finds this code on the Maxine station that ultimately we realize is uh, a pilot's code, and that. Pilots came to the Amaxine station because they were indentured and they took on more risky missions to get time or um, balance off of their uh, indentured servitude. And Afi is quite betrayed by this, so much so that she realizes that her parents died on the Amaxine station, which must be a horrible feeling to, to go to the one place in the galaxy that is not only scary because there are sentient plants, um, but <laughs> because that is the place where, or around that place is where her parents met their, met their end. And to try and, try and create this new life with Scover, and then to realize that the reason why they're dead is because of Scover. She makes a choice. She makes a choice. To turn Scover in. And when we met these characters, I had no idea where we were heading with them. But to see Afi's, um, her resolve to, to do this and to betray kind of the only family she has in, in words, I mean... Leox and Geode are clearly her family as well by the end of this book. And and so are the Jedi in a way. But to to be, to betray, and I don't say that with a negative connotation either because she does the right thing. But to, to go against Scover, to turn her in, and to ultimately disrupt Scover's life work by ultimately dissolving the Bind Guild. She realized that she's done the right thing for herself and for everybody uh, and all the pilots there. And that was like a really incredible subplot to me. I, I don't know. How did you feel about it? Did I leave anything out that was really, really important about that? These characters were just so interesting to me.
0: No, I think Afi's subplot was was really interesting because it, it seemed... I wasn't sure like where her story was really going. It's not until you get mm-hmm. to the Maxine station that she uncovers the secret. Then it starts to kind of uh, uncover the path of her journey and like what that's going to look like. And yeah, I mean, ultimately she decides... My love for Scover can't coexist with my want and desire to eliminate illegal trade practices that are going to hurt other people, but also, most importantly, took my parents away from me. Because, you know, her parents went there and they tried to use the helix rings, which on the station, there are these rings that use them and it kind of powers the ship's out of the station and you know, I can use allow the ship to use one tenth of the fuel because it's so powerful it's such a powerful burst of energy but when misused, it, it can kill you and that's what we think happens to does originally even though he just takes a pod down to the planet but that's what happens to her parents and it, it really is tragic you know she realizes that oftentimes it's the people who are in the most dire situations the indentured servants who will do whatever that takes even the most dangerous missions to cut a little bit of time off their sentence. And she sees, you know, I don't want anybody to have to go through that or have to make that decision. You know, it's like that's a horrible choice for any person to ever have to make. And even the Republic, we, we kind of get this idea that they have some rules against it, against, you know, hazardous incentives and like what's allowed and what's not. But it's still kind of up in the air. And there's this whole other subplot that's 25 years earlier that involves the Huts and how the huts have, are trying, you know, 200 years before the prequels to build this empire of indentured servants across the galaxy and become a huge crime syndicate that thrives off of fear and uh, servitude and uh, running dangerous jobs for the Huts. One thing I have always kind of wanted out of star wars is more of a discussion on like slavery and indentured servitude and like and like slave liberation you know i thought for sure we were going to get a stormtrooper rebellion with finn and how those stormtroopers in the first order are kind of slaves they're they're mind washed and they become slaves and they're brain scraped as we learned from resistance uh so there was a really great (laughs) opportunity i know So there was a really great opportunity in the sequel trilogy to kind of show the, the slave liberation movement, especially led by Finn, which would have been really cool as a, as a former stormtrooper.
1: The yeah. prequels,
0: we really haven't gotten that with like Queen's Shadow and Queen's Peril that kind of became a Sabe plot that hasn't really been fully realized yet. So there again, Master and Apprentice, another Claudia book. It was kind of brought up with the people of Pajal. And mm-hmm. how their planet mm-hmm. is run by indentured servants, but that was only one book. So when you think about the High Republic, and this is just the first of many books to come, I really hope that this idea of indentured servitudes and indentured servitude, and Afi's story to try to liberate you know as many people from this as possible, maybe even outside the bind guild. I think there's some really cool things that are explored here that should continue to be explored and talked about and in the Star Wars universe because then it kind of makes us think in our own world as we reflect on our own history and our own current time you know and especially in a time of privatized jails and all these other horrible things people have to go through Uh, what does that teach us
1: about ourselves if we talk about this in our stories and I also think that like the galaxy is just so big and we have to recognize that not all planets, not all places, not all cultures are going to live in the same way, and that people will take advantage of other people, and like in our own world and in, uh, in the Star Wars universe. And I think that it is really interesting that, and I know some people are like Lena So is cool, but I do not trust Lena So, or I feel that you know Lena's uh politics get a little. It, like little sticky uh, when it comes to the Outer Rim. But I think what is really notable in this book, if I will give Lena Soe and the Republic one prop today, I'll give it to the fact that they acted on the Bind Guild stuff when Scover, or not when Scover, when Affy went to report Scover within yeah. the day.
0: Very quick.
1: It's clearly something that the Republic took very seriously immediately, which I thought was really awesome. And I think it means that something is working. And I do hope we get more discussions about it. And it, it was Claudia in Master and Apprentice with Jal and the Chirka Corporation and how their labor was slave labor. She was the one who did that whole subplot, too. Mm-hmm. And I think she's got stuff to say about this. And I hope that she continues to talk about it because uh, and I hope she continues to include the Jedi in it. I hope it becomes a main plot, not just a subplot or, you know. Um, the secondary, because yikes, it's not good, it's not good, it's bad, and I think you make a good point about our own world and um the value of labor and how we see people with regards to their labor depending on their background, incarceration status and life circumstances and I think this is actually a
0: really great jumping point to how we're going to talk about the force and how the idea of the force being divided and are the Jedi order right in, in their ways really is a, uh, in, in regards to indentured servitude and how we often see the Jedi saying, you know, Oh, we don't want to take matters into our old hands around slavery. You know, like Je- uh, Qui-Gon goes to Tatooine and rescues Anakin, but he doesn't rescue the rest of the slaves. The Jedi kind of go there take mm-hmm. what they need and leave. But are they guardians of peace and justice? So I think when you have a character like Reith Silas, who's as close to Afi by the end of this book as he is, and if Afi's whole thing in the High Republic is going to be to the slave and indentured servant liberation movement, and she tries to enlist the help of Wreath who is now under the apprenticeship of a person who doesn't see eye to eye with the Jedi, it's going to be interesting to see how is Reith tested? Is he going to make the choice to say, you guys aren't doing anything about this? The Republic did something about it pretty quick when Afi brought it up, but like the Jedi are too laissez-faire. They don't want to do anything. So that's going to test Wreath in a way too to say, do I want to choose this righteous movement to help people versus like what the Jedi Order is telling me I should be doing? And that's often an idea that's brought up in this book is what is the, what is the Order telling me versus like what is the Force telling me? Because those are very two different things and they're not the same. And sometimes the Order might be wrong.
1: Yeah, and like speaking of the order being wrong and of characters in this book, we can talk a little bit about Jorah and the conversation that she had in Light of the Jedi when there's this whole conversation of do we go into war? Do we not go into war with the Nile at this point? Do we fight for these people? And there's this question by one of the masters. um, I forget who it was. Yariel Poof or Renopo <laughs> or... Um, ransom one, well, one of them one of them And oh, yeah adam adamopo their names kind of confused me i haven't got them all figured out yet anyway one of them says you know we can only have peace through justice
0: oh that was yariel yeah
1: yariel that poof. was a yariel proof quote we have to stay on have um, to stand
0: long necks in the star wars universe for sure <laughs> for sure
1: llama sue yariel proof anyway um <laughs> you know we can only have peace through justice but justice means getting involved and doing something about injustice you can't let the the injustice and the oppression just be and be like we're about peace and justice but like and then not do anything about the injustice so the jedi are i like to think they're all high and mighty but um i'll get a little uh you know Personal, I guess, for my convocation for college, I had the privilege of hearing Brian Stevenson, the founder of the Equal Justice Initiative, speak. And the core thing, I remember to this day, his speech was so moving. The core thing was that you have to be proximate to the people that you're wanting to help in order to help them. Get proximate with the issues that you want to help solve and be a part of the solution for. Because if you're just sitting in the high tower, the Jedi Council. You you will not be proximate to the important issues. Um, and I think that the Jedi fail to get proximate. And that's where the Jedi's failure is. And they made the choice to fight in that moment. But they are not fighting for every cause. Because they are like, you know, we don't want to get political. And we don't want to look like we're choosing a side. Even though in A Test of Courage... Vern Astro Rowe is specifically assigned to uh, accompany and protect one senator's daughter. Like, ugh, the Jedi, look in the mirror.
0: <laughs> They're crazy. Anyway.
1: Anyway. And I, I, <laughs>
0: when you look at to what the prequel era is now dubbed, it's the fall of the Jedi, which, news alert for anybody that's upset about that. There's a game called Jedi Fallen Order. Did you know about it? The great word of Jedi Fallen Order, that the Jedi fell? (laughs) There are actually people upset about that that's like, no, it's the fall of the Republic. No, it's the fall of the Jedi because they're hubris. Like Luke and the last Jedi was spot on. They had hubris. Yeah. They didn't look at the Force. They dissected the Force, as Comac said, and they just were like, we're going to live in complete bliss and ignorance. It's
1: fine. But the problem is the Jedi in the order, or the Jedi in the Republic become one. Yeah. There is a sense of, there is a sense of disconnect between them, kinda, now. But by the time we get to the fall of the Jedi and the fall of the Republic, they are the same. They both fall for that reason.
0: You know, we are all the Republic is sort of this initiative that's supposed to be unifying, but I think what we're going to see throughout the High Republic era is that it's actually going to create more problems than uh, it is, just because of the Jedi Order's code of ethics. I think that would yeah. maybe that would maybe work in any other situation where the Jedi aren't part of the "We are all the Republic," because like they have such a different code of like what does the Force will us to do and. No emotions, no attachments, and all these other things. It doesn't really vibe too well with the Republic, who is like, "Let's rescue the slaves," and like, "Let's rescue indentured servants," and like, "Let's do these things that are, you know, good for people." And the Jedi are like, "Well, it could be good for people, but it's not what the Force wills." So it's like this whole conundrum of like, we're going to start to see the cracks form over and over and over again until we get to that prequel era. And I think one line from uh, Haeg. When he confronts Komac and Orla, he, he talks about how, yes, you guys rescued us on our ships, but you only did it because it suited your vanity to be the great and wise, saving the poor and helpless. And that's on page 335. And I think that's kind of speaking to the Jedi's intentions, right? It's like, are you guys actually trying to be guardians of the peace? Or are you just trying to have the persona of like, hey, we're better than you and we can save the poor and helpless because, you know, we see you guys need saving. But do they really need saving or are they just living a different way of life on the outer rim so it's like this whole question of like what what are the jedi actually doing and like is it right and i think that kind of leads us into our conversation about the force and how it's presented in this book
1: can i tell you kind of the realization i just had yes and why i've been freaking out over on my end um because the jedi is an order it is a religion it has been called a hokey religion. It is considered by some to be like, wow, those weird monks. Um, this the the state and the church. I'm so sorry, forgive me, but the state and the church are like that, you know, like mm-hmm. the buddy buddy. Um, and then we go into dividing the force. So I will hop into this quote from page 128. How does the dark side take form anywhere? Sometimes I think we, the Jedi, must somehow be to blame. We who refuse to look at the Force and full, or in full, to examine the darkness as well as the light. If the dark side were not so alien to them, Comax suspected, they could be more readily, they could more readily understand the nature of the idols from the um, station. How can we split the Force in two? How can we justify such an act of violence? And it is violence, such a dividing, even the darkness divided from the light. I hate to get on the real religion train bus here. I won't stay on it too long, I promise. (laughs) But um, when you're looking at um, Christian religions, There are different ways to interpret and look at the Bible. Um, You can take the Bible literally. You can take the Bible um, for the parables and stories and for the messages. Uh, You know, you can interpret the Bible with today's lens or you can, you know, you can interpret the Bible with today's lens and read it as if it were written today and what the words on the page mean to us today. Or you can read it with the understanding of its translations and it's um, the different authors of the books and all this different stuff, right? And that turns into completely different ways of looking at the religion. Um, That's why we have, you know, however many denominations of Christianity or, you know, um, or different ways of looking at um, Islam or or any of these major world religions. And I think Komek is getting at something here. How can we, the Jedi, fail to even acknowledge the dark side. We're so focused on the light that we say out of sight out of mind. It's not in this mind. I'm doing just fine over here. No darkness in me. I'm the most upstanding. That it's allowed to fester and it's allowed to grow because nobody is looking at it and trying to understand it. We're trying to understand where these two different interpretations of the the force of the thing can coexist or how they interact in our day-to-day lives because ultimately the dark and the light are intertwined mm-hmm. we all must we t- the jedi talk about balance but it is not a balance of 100 percent light even the jedi do realize at some point that that is not reasonable but at the same time when they talk about balance they fail they fail to talk about the dark with any sort of weight other than fear about it instead of understanding it like a historian or what have you anyway anyway i'm stepping off the soapbox i'll i'll mute the mic i'll stop now
0: (laughs) (laughs) you make some great points and that's just part of our next discussion which is about the force and, and what does it mean to split the force in two and i really hadn't thought about this idea of who, who are we as, as such an act of violence to split the force? An act of violence. That's such an interesting way to describe it and has never been described in that way. But it's so ironic in that way when you think about the fact that this book mentions few people knew the Jedi Temple had been built atop a Sith shrine. And this is yes! the shrine in the depths. It is literally a shrine that they have covered up, that they've built a temple over that they have built a meditative chamber they have to take the whole chamber apart it's like when it's like when the uh the hockey ring shares the same stadium as the basketball <laughs> arena yeah, and they got to yeah. they got to put the basketball thing on top of the ice and it's like sacrilegious it's like what's happening oh god i thought this was hockey and now it's basketball what's going on so it's like the dark side and the light side it's like <laughs> They built a shrine and they're like, oh yeah, we can just take this apart and now it's the dark side vibes for now, you know, and they they descend down the stairs to this area where a vergence in the forest exists. This is, quote, nexus of power and energy that could be put to many uses, both worthy and wicked. So it's this place where they can go when they find something that's imbued with the dark side, take it, let that energy dissipate back into the cosmic force, and then we're good. It's purification. Of the dark side. So they're literally not only hiding the dark side from plain sight by building the Jedi Temple and hiding these steps, but they're literally taking any object that they find with the dark side, bringing it to this area and taking the dark side out and saying, No more dark side for you. We are going to continue to hide it. And it's like, what more, like, what a more hubris ridden thing to do than that, right? And it's just, it's crazy. And how, I love too, by the way, this is all on page 226, how they they mention in the distant past of the Old Republic, which I love the mention of the Old Republic. During the ancient Sith Empire, Sith and Jedi had often warred for control of these virgences, And the and the Sith had held the first one, which was here at the temple. So I just love this idea of there's this kind of back and forth battle between these virgences in the forest and how powerful they can be in performing certain acts. And like, that was kind of the... The bargaining tool and the 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 thing of power back in the old republic days It's like who controlled these hot spots of the force so it's all very interesting the shrine and the depths is like the coolest thing i've read about and maybe that's why i love this book so much is because that alone is just so cool
1: yes yeah. i have to firmly agree that it is fantastic yes but then that divide right the fact that it's built on top of this virgin's that was the Sith shrine. And, like, nobody really knows about it. And I would imagine that extends to uh, much of the Jedi Order. Which goes back to, I believe it's a Wreath quote on 421. Or does the divide only make the darkness darker, more dangerous than it ever would have been well, a in Comac a state quote. of nature? It's a Comac Oh, of course it's a Comac quote. I'm so sorry. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> um. Of course, it's Comac saying these genius things. This is why I love him. Um, but uh, that idea, I just kind of want to, you know, you know when you like look at something and you're like, hmm, okay, yeah, uh-huh. yeah." That's what I'm doing when I read this quote and I'm like, hmm, he's right. He's right, you know? <laughs> because when you talk about this, they talk about balance, right? They talk about, Finding balance within yourself, mm-hmm. but then they go around and they're like, "We have to purify it from the darkness." No darkness. <laughs> they're so, they're so backwards. They they like the Jedi. Even at this point, even when they're in their prime, are so upside down inside out. They don't even know which way their their moral compass is looking. Sometimes it feels like because they're like, "Do we? We're not political. We don't fight." But also, let's get into this war. You know, I Yeah. I love the Jedi, but like I'm also so frustrated with them
0: sometimes. Yeah. And I wanna kind of expand on the first part of that quote from Komak that you mentioned, which he says mm-hmm. the darkness is as much a part of the force as the light. This is this is the best part, folks. Get get yourself straight grab your armrests, get ready for the chills that are gonna go through your body. The Order thinks it can bisect the force so neatly. As though the primal living energy of all existence were a thing to be sliced and served. And I just think of like, you know, neatly cutting apples and like serving the little (laughs) apple slices, right? So, it's almost like the Jedi think, you know, they can cut the apple into slices and, oh, this piece of the apple doesn't look so great. I'm going to toss that one out. So, I'm just going to keep the very nice apple slices, but if you do that, you're not keeping the entire apple when you... Serve it. You're only giving the best glorious parts of it, the shining parts. You're wasteful. It's wasteful, you know? Those bad pieces of the apple are what go to, you know, the garbage, but they could still be eaten. They could still be consumed. I I think to the idea of history and how we always need to acknowledge history or else we're doomed to repeat it. So if all the Jedi are ever doing is Covering this virgins in the forest that's underneath the temple and the Sith shrine. If they're never acknowledging this Sith shrine, if they're not kind of letting these artifacts live and breathe and to teach about them and to let the Jedi know what they are, they're doomed to repeat themselves. And that's what we see. You know, for so long, they deny the dark side as a natural part of the force that's supposed to be balanced. And what happens is Palpatine 200 years from now is comes to power. And I think that's what the Acolyte 2 is going to be about. I think it's going to be the culmination of everything we're seeing in these books. And then the Acolyte is kind of like the nail in the coffin. Like now that the dark side has been able to lay dormant for so long with the Jedi just kind of ignoring it, now it's going to really boil to the surface so that when we get to the Phantom Menace, Palpatine is ready to set his motion into play. And the Acolyte is going to teach us about how the jedi were fools basically (laughs) you know so the jedi just don't appreciate history and that's why they're doomed to repeat it and that's why the sith will control coruscant in the galaxy and rule for many years and cause destruction and chaos and and harm
1: but also i think we got to recognize um well first i want to go back to your apple metaphor um you can either slice the apple which is an okay way of eating an apple Or, you can bite right into the apple. You could. When you bite right into the apple, you can get all the pieces of the apple, right? And you get the dark with the light. I don't know. I don't know. But, also, history is written by the winners. Who won? The Jedi. Uh Uh-huh. Who erased the fact that they were on a Sith temple? The Jedi. I'm gonna bet you. I'm gonna bet you it's the Jedi.
0: (sighs) Which, can I please mention here too? Go ahead. I'm so glad you brought this up because we know Comac Vitus is a folklorist. He collects. I love my man. He collects <laughs> legends and histories. Yeah. You bring up a point about the winners' right history. So, Wreath yeah. asks him around page 36 you know, how do you find these legends? And Comac tells him there are always the stories that people want to tell about themselves. And then there are the other stories, the secret ones, the dark ones, the ones whose meanings are more difficult to comprehend. Those aren't the ones they offer to outsiders. Of course, those are generally the most important of all. Yeah. So if the winners are writing history, but they're kind of leaving those important stories out of the narrative, you know, the, the story of the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise, right? If that's, that's not a story the Jedi would tell you, right? Oh my God, my mind's blown right now, right? <laughs> so it's It's literally all baked in the Star Wars, and I can tell you, I can guarantee you, like this idea of stories and legends. you know, the legend of Dark Plague against the wise, the story, the Jedi wouldn't tell you. It's all connected, right? And the Jedi only want to show the version of reality that they think is right. And that's where they lose. Yeah, so
1: think about think about Nu saying like, uh, if it's not in our system, It does not exist. It doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> if Camino's not here. It does not exist um which is another way of like looking at academic academic and history and like was she attempting to cover something up or did she just truly not know and have such a view of her own position within that that world of the jedi archives but also like the jedi are clearly writing history in a way that is sanitized to an extent and it's interesting to me that you know comac is renowned as a scholar and a mystic and he's well published and he's a folklorist i think wreath says that like over half the papers and books he's read have had footnotes of of comac's work and it's really interesting to me because if more people were reading these things perhaps they would have a different view of the force because comac seriously like tends to be He's someone that, no, we don't have his academic writings. Although, um, here are some new things I want from the High Republic. Um, those Jedi uh, romance, those romances from um, Light of the Jedi. Yeah. And also, Komak Vetus's academic papers. <laughs> oh, my God. Please. The thrill. Give the it thrill. to us. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Anyway, I'm going to calm down. Um, but uh, it, it, it seems to me like he would be injecting um a more complicated vision of the force at times and a more complicated vision of history than perhaps um some in the order might want to see or or believe is the right way to look at things or or maybe like subconsciously, you know, are interested in. But maybe maybe more Jedi should just spend time in the library and read comics <laughs> writings. Uh, it's a thought. It's a thought. Um but I mean, we kind of answered this question but throughout, but like are the Jedi Are the Jedi right? And we can go into, like, Wayseekers. Clearly not everybody's following the order. I don't know. What are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I think this is a great question to ask at this point because, yeah, the Wayseeker is a really interesting concept. It's described as a a Jedi who operate independently of the dictates of the Council. So it's almost like this way to gain a deeper understanding of the Force when you don't necessarily see eye to eye with the Jedi. And... It kind of all goes back, I think, to that 25 years earlier where, you know, they're in this situation where they have to rescue hostages and in Orla's mind, the Jedi say, oh, whenever you're in the situation, rescue the hostage first and then take care of your enemy. But the Force in that moment's kind of telling her, no, do the enemy first and then rescue the hostage. But she follows the hostage first rule and it actually yeah. ends up having, you know, Monarch Castle killed. Mm-hmm. and this kind of teaches her you know it says here quote it would be many years before she fully reckoned with that moment and realized that if the order was telling her to ignore the force it wasn't the force that was wrong <laughs> damn 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 oh, good stuff Oh my god! this stuff, stuff is
1: so good it's so good i love these characters <laughs> so i much. love
0: the idea of her recognizing that she never wants to live the life of a lie you know that that she will never mm-hmm. put what's "Quote unquote, right and proper," which is what the Jedi teach you, ahead of what the Force is telling her. Because the Force is what she should be listening to as a Jedi. She shouldn't be listening to other Jedi. She should be listening to the Force. And the Jedi, as we know, are perceiving the will of the Force incorrectly. And that's sort of where they go wrong because they think, you know, they're they almost think they're higher and more mightier than the Force itself because they're sort. They think of themselves as the vessels, which like that. That's so irresponsible to think like you are the vessels through which the force speaks like you because you have control over the force that makes you more entitled to that whereas the force connects all living beings not just the jedi so great job guys i guess but i I think the (laughs) fact that she's a way seeker right she's seeking her way and we think of two like the wayfinder i don't know if that's kind of an interesting terminology there but you know it's really oh, cool. Oh. And I know we've talked Hold on, about look, can we pause? What's that?
1: Can we pause and just go oh, yeah. oop? oop. Way, way seeker. Linguistics? Wayfinder. Whoa.
0: Interesting. I,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Much In- to I, think I, on. I don't
1: could we get a cool artifact like my Kaysrath <laughs> device?
0: Ooh. What if
1: what if what if, Sarah?
0: I know you love the K's Rath device. I know. I do. Yeah. <laughs> And I just want to say one more note on kind of this idea of the way seeker As I, I've seen the stupid screen rant article about it being compared to gray <laughs> Jedi. You know, as the wise <laughs> words of Luke Skywalker, it's time for the gray Jedi <laughs> to end. The gray Jedi, I think, just lacks a lot of nuance. It's sort of this kind of blanket oh term that's used way too much in Star Wars. And I really think we just kind of need to throw it out completely out of star Wars terminology because Wayseeker is the new gray Jedi. Like orange is the new black. This and is it better. And it's way better because I think it actually has meaning behind it versus just like the simplicity of gray Jedi, which is like, well, they're not dark and they're not light. So it must be gray. And I think that's just like kind of not, doesn't really invite much of a conversation into the Force. And I think like, I was so excited about the way seeker. Cause I could finally put like a name to a concept but also a name that mm-hmm. had some like real meaning behind it. So I kind of hope that we adopt this as sort of the go-to for gray Jedi. Again, I hate saying it. It makes me cringe, but I think that's one of the things I love most about this book was Claudia introducing this concept and really developing it. And I think we'll continue to see it developed because Orla's story is not done, which by the way, she's a total badass too. Her lightsaber is sick. She's so So cool. cool.
1: Yeah. she's so cool i mean i want to talk a little bit about the way seeker specifically because on page 18 they do detail some of the ways that people have taken their paths as way seekers before and it says that some have included med- like solitary um activities like meditation on a mountaintop or helping revolutionaries on a tyrant ruled world or even in one legendary instance Becoming a minor singing sensation on Alderaan. <laughs> now, there's a there's lo- there's a, there's I a mean, lot
0: baked in there.
1: There's a lot happening in that sentence because you ended on minor singing sensation on Alderaan. You're like, whoa! But there's a really interesting little bit in the middle here, where somebody, at least one person, has left the order, has left the order to fight oppression and to liberate a world fancy that and that when we go back again when we go back to light of the jedi and yariel poof saying that there can be no justice or no peace without justice um our good old avatar kiyoshi also says this we have to stand again (laughs) um it really makes you think. It really makes me think. But also, I think it's really interesting that the Wayseekers Seekers' path has taken so many different turns. Becoming a singing sensation on Alderaan, um, is a thing. <laughs> is a thing. I don't know what kind of music they were singing. Um, don't know if they went on Alderaan's next or uh, Alderaan's Got Talent or, Ooh, or what have you. But I um, watch. that
0: should be a Disney Plus series.
1: Oh yes. First of all, yes. Second of all, yes. Let's let's um, tweet
0: that at Bob uh, Chapik.
1: But I find this whole idea very interesting because, yeah, I can understand why you'd leave the order to become a singing sensation. Those things don't really seem very compatible. Meditation on a mountaintop, I understand where you'd have to kind of go outside of the dictates of the the order because that's a very solitary, introspective activity. And while the, the order encourages meditation and balance and that sort of thing, I would imagine being on a mountaintop for an extended period of time is a different sort of thing. Helping revolutionaries on a tyrant ruled world, fighting for peace and justice. It's kinda of what the exactly what the order says they kinda of wanna do. So that's that's interesting to me. And it makes me a little, again, doubtful of the whole order. Why do we even have an order if we have to leave the order and to do or in order to do something like that? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying the individual Jedi are bad. Most of them were like, taken as babies. It's not their fault. <laughs> but I think that the, some of the fundamentals are off base, and I think that's kind of what we gotten at in this conversation: that the fundamentals might have good intentions, but they are not where they need to be.
0: Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I think this whole idea of are the Jedi right really pivots around Orla and Comac. Mm-hmm. And I, I was really surprised by this book using that kind of 25-year-old story as a framing device. You know, their, their bond as with each other goes back so far, and it's so intertwined, and it almost seems like they're kind of going on the same path, but just in different ways, right? Because like, Comac is more, more allowing of anger, whereas Orla, Jereni has a more primal connection to the force. And she that's kind of where they differ a little bit. And it goes back to how he lost his master, right? And he lost his master and when he does, you know, Orla tells him to I guess reflecting on that, Orla says, you know, we can overcome our anger. And he goes, why? Why should I overcome it? If I cannot feel anger over the loss of such life in reference to Des and present day. Then I cannot feel anything at all. The order asks us to excise the deepest parts of ourselves, and for what? So that a young man may die unmourned. And when he lost his master earlier, he felt like he had his guts torn out by a rancor's claw. <laughs> so <laughs> it's he kind of feels like it's cruel that the Jedi say no attachment, even though they give you these master and apprentice relationships that become like a family and become like parents to each other—a parent and a son, and a parent or a daughter. And it's like, how do you expect that you can kind of separate the emotion out of that relationship? And it's kind of, uh, you know, makes you think about Obi-Wan. You were my brother, Anakin. I loved you.
1: I loved you.
0: And uh, Obi-Wan was never really allowed to openly exercise that emotion to Anakin. And I think that's exactly what Anakin might have needed to hear. So, Comac's like, why can't we just be human? Like, why can't we just be mortal beings who have emotions it we're, we're sentient we're a sentient species and this is kind of the essence of life why can't i exercise that
1: anyway i'm sad now time to pack it in um <laughs> the jedi order makes me sad this has been a good one i'll catch you in the next episode <laughs> i think you've had all the good stuff it's it's um, he's he's saying the unsaid And it's unsaid in Light of the Jedi by Skir and by and and, oh God, Avar and Elzar. You know, it's uh, something that the Order needs to think about a little bit. I don't know. Emotions are good. Emotions um, help us cope, help us get through. And he's right. You know, if, why should I overcome it? why why are we suppressing these when these emotions help us through some of these feelings and some of these experiences? Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. Well, on a less depressing topic, I think we've talked quite a bit about the Force and the Jedi Order. And I think Into the Dark does a really great job. You know, when you think of the title Into the Dark, it obviously means, you know, into the dark of the space station. You know, what lies within the dark hallways, the plants, the Drengear, But it also could mean, you know, into the dark side of the force, like, Mm -hmm. you know, into the dark, into the dark side of ourselves and dealing with emotion and dealing, grappling with the loss of life. And uh, I love Mm -hmm. that the High Republic isn't shying away from that. But Sarah, we're not going to shy away too from some of the more positive, uplifting things of this book. And I solely want to talk about Geode,
1: the rock. Geode? The Vintian from Vint?
0: Yes, Him.
1: Our favorite rock, Hyperspace Navigator. The Wild Man. Hitting the clubs.
0: Sarah, did you know if you actually cannot pronounce his name correctly unless you don't have a mouth? So that's why they nicknamed him Geode.
1: Which is funny because like a geode is like when you crack a rock. Yeah. And on the inside, it's a bunch of crystals. Amazing. Amazing.
0: Amazing.
1: Amazing.
0: (laughs) One of the greatest additions to the Star Wars universe period claudia's the end of the sentence. claudia's excellence in writing this book was dropping little things here and there that just made it feel like geode was as much a part of the scene as anybody else you know and it's yeah. like you're you you kind of read it as a reader and you're like oh yeah geode you know it's just he's he's acting up again hanging- or oh yeah he's being kind of quiet right now for some reason and like you as a reader kind of start to experience that along with like wreath who's like Am I talking to Geode? Like, did he just rescue me? Like, what's, you're my He's hero, Geode. Like... <laughs> you know, like, what's going on with Geode? What did you think of Geode? Like, what? I-, I don't even know how to start with this character, honestly, but we need concept <laughs> art now, Lucasfilm. Drop oh my God, it. Oh God, please. Please.
1: Um, I, Geode is, I would never, I will never ever tire of Geode humor. It is funny every time I've read it. Even if I've read the same passage over and over again, like um the one where it's like, where's geode hitting the clubs? God only knows what times he'll be back some days that guy's gonna have to slow down and I- <laughs> that is hilarious it's so funny, it's so funny. I will never be over it and i this book is called "Into the Dark. These losses are kind of heavy. This exploration of the forest is not exactly light. I mean, I know we love having this conversation, but like it's it's a bit of a a, lot. a a mental mental game. And but Geode is here for the humor. And I next time we see Claudia in person at a book signing or whatever, I will just thank that woman for <laughs> Geode specifically because it's just so funny and he's so weird. And who would have think who would have thought that a rock character would be a thing in Star Wars ever. I know we've got a lot of um weird aliens and things and I think uh, other franchises track does a better job at kind of um, humanizing and giving their giving a uh, real world uh, um, I guess humanizing is the, be- the best um, descriptor but humanizing their aliens and not making them all for nothing um, I think Star Wars and sometimes uh, do like throw away aliens and creatures and things and this did not feel like that at all. Like I want to know more about Vintian, or, or I want to know about more about the Vintian people. Um, I want to know more about Vint the planet. <laughs> Do they live in wood houses? Do they live in Ooh. rock houses? Heaven forbid, rocks live in rock houses. Do they play um, rock but, paper uh,
0: scissors with their neighbors? Oh my
1: god, it's genius! Um, oh, what if
0: the neighboring planets are full of people, or of beings that are paper, just paper, or like trees? Oh my god, and tree people and then like the other planet is just full of scissors that like walk That's
1: too funny that's too funny um i i don't know i just had such a i had such a blast with this character and i want to see more of him he obviously doesn't have a mouth he doesn't speak but other people speak for him and give him his character and he seems like a, a blast i mean he he um Goes with Orla to help her choose out a, a, a ship. I just I just love that everybody's totally, totally by the end of the book, accepts Geode and Geode's appearance and Geode's kind of um, idiosyncrasies, you know, and his weirdness and kind of goes with it. They're just like, yeah, that's that's just my buddy Geode.
0: Yeah, I, I love too. like, it. at one point, it says Geode was giving Leox the death glare when Affie and them are trying to figure out like what weapons can we bring back to the Maxine station? She says, Geode, you know, some, let's say interesting characters, somebody who might sell a little on the side, maybe a thermal detonator or two. And then it says Geode's knowing look spoke volumes, which is just so funny. Cause he doesn't speak. It's just, it's and there's, genius. what is the knowing look? He doesn't have eyes. He doesn't have a mouth or nose. It's just a rock. So just the perception it, of like, the, it's just, it's just genius. I don't, even know how else to describe it like i need to know more about this character and the fact too that him and leox had this like really weird detour with a rodian who wanted to be worshiped by this fearful populace and it ended up you know the the populace worshiping leox and geode and they made a, a a plinth carved in geode's honor and then mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. uh sacrificed flowers they chanted they lit incense And uh, now there's a planet apparently called Leoxo. That needs to be a comic, by the way, like a spinoff comic. I need to know what happened on this mission. I really hope that happens at (laughs) some point. But just like all these really funny things that are just make you put down the book, laugh a little bit. And yeah, even though this book, like you said, is filled with some pretty heavy concepts. It's like that just that one little line about Geode always brought a smile to my face. And like, that's what I appreciated the most about it.
1: He's perfect. Yeah. He's perfect. And he adds just the right amount of levity to the action and the um, the dramatics of the book. And he's perfect. He's flawless, iconic. I'm ready for my Geode fan cam. I'm ready <laughs> to join the Geode fan club. Um, I'm uh, Geode, man. I- iconic. Truly iconic. iconic. What, a great, what a great addition to the Star Wars universe. 11 out of 10. Would recommend. You could say he's
0: rock he's a rock solid character.
1: Oh, snaps! Snaps for you.
0: I'll wait for the applause from our listeners, Sarah. Yeah, we're gonna go into a little bit of a segment here before we close out the episode called "Odds and Ends," nicely named Mm -hmm. by you. Great job.
1: So this yeah, it was all I had in my brain. So if it changes next episode, just like don't worry about it, guys. So this is where we're going to talk
0: about things that we didn't necessarily get to, but we felt were either important or were fun Easter eggs that we wanted to bring up. So it's kind of like our odds and ends that we would like to get through before we close out the episode with a little bit of what's next. So I would like to start, Sarah, with something Mm -hmm. I thought was pretty cool because I do love me some prequel love. I do love me some Attack of the Clones. Me too. I do love me some... Obi-Wan going to a particularly familiar diner with some red seats and some waiters rolling around on their wheels. And wait a second, isn't that where the place being described where Affy and Scoverbine are eating? It's Dex's diner in Into the Dark. It's not named, but that's it. You can't tell me that you're on Coruscant in a red seated diner with roly waiters and that's not him. I don't think he's there yet cuz he's probably not alive at this point. However, the idea that this maybe this diner has been passed down for many generations, maybe it's a family business, maybe this is Dex's great 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 grandfather or grandmother. I love that idea that this this thing exists in this time period and I
1: I had to put the book down and I was like shouting cuz I was so excited about it. It's a great little easter egg and it's so funny because I didn't catch it on the first read and you were like go look at this page Sarah you didn't text me about it go look at it and I did and I was like oh, oh my god you were right <laughs> like and who doesn't cuz I when we were talking about like the 800 playable non-playable characters in Lego Skywalker Saga I was like Dex better be playable I'm just glad we're getting some mentions of Dex or some or some thoughts of Dex because um He's underappreciated, man. Yeah, this is on page yes.
0: 239, by the way. So if you want to go back and read that section and get the description, it's all there for you, folks. And it's wonderful. So Sarah, what is mm-hmm. your odd, odds and ends item
1: next? So my big one for this book is actually when they're back on Coruscant and Reef is back in the Jedi archives, you know, as you would. And he comes across this book um, or he opens up this book that he has uh neglected in recent years 275 276 it is um, a book of fairy tales and legends of the core worlds and these figures were familiar from songs that were taught to children uh throughout the core worlds and even kids in the temple were bought, were, were taught these songs and some of these songs and fairy tales and legends were rooted in fact like the good princess chiaia of alderaan or the ithorian pirate. Blue Brow. I want to know these songs. I want to know these fairy tales and legends. Star Wars, make it happen. We have myths and fables. We have dark legends. We're getting the holiday special version of these fables and things. Yeah. Where um we've been talking about one of my favorite things in all of Star Wars is Star Wars music genres. Give me the Star Wars children's music. Also sea shanties. Okay, that's all. <laughs> that's my odds and ends.
0: (laughs) Another thing worth noting, this is actually a pretty uh, big one in terms of connective tissue, but the Amaxine station appears to be the station that Snoke is on in The Rise of Kylo Ren comic book. So if you actually go back and look at the picture of that station, it fits the description pretty much to a T. Honestly, it's this hexagonal Uh, panels on this sort of orb you got these like lower and upper rings that are all kind of interconnected the inside of the station that Snoke is on has a lot of plants so I just love the idea that of course Snoke is going to end up going to this place that was once riddled and possibly still riddled with the dark side I mean is he controlling the Drengir are they still alive at that point in time who knows have they been put back in their place and kept at bay from the darkness? So, you know, I don't know if it's the same exact station because we learn that, you know, once Wreath fires off all the different pods that kind of take people from into the station and kind of leaves it abandoned so that neither the Nile or the Drengir can use it for, you know, opportunity and for uh, mischief. But uh, it makes you wonder, how does Snoke find it? How far out are we in the unknown regions right now? It's just very interesting stuff. And I love that little bit of connective connectivity especially with charles being a part of the high republic initiative i'm sure he had some sort of play in this or uh, i would love to go back and look at all the different little easter eggs that were dropped to us and we might not ever have ever realized it you know
1: yeah and i think for this one specifically if you were like me and you were having a little bit of trouble envisioning what the maxine station looked like and just kind of the big picture of it you sent me that great image of it from the outside and I was like, oh, that makes a ton of sense. So uh, if you are like, "Ah, oh, I don't really understand the way that this station works and the layout of it, that is the place to look for it yeah. because it pretty clearly shows it or something very, very similar to it. The next one I want to dive into is something that I thought was great, um, a little bit oddly introduced uh as to why afi was safe on the ship and i was just like oh it makes me slightly uncomfortable but it's great because um gian's not gonna go into his mating spell for another nine years so he's <laughs> fine but we get some implied asexuality from leox in this book and more ace rep in star wars we love to see yep. it
0: isn't vi marati uh ace as well i believe Yes. So, mm-hmm. And we didn't talk about Leox enough. Again, we tried to cover as much as we can. There's just so much to go over, but I think Leox is such a great character. He's been described as sort of Matthew McConaughey in space, which is hilarious, and he's got the the shirt open, the bees that he has on him. So he's a really great character, and he's always kind of that half-glass-half-full uh, kind of character that Reith tries to aspire to be, because Wreath is very glass-half-empty. That's pretty cool. Yeah, the actual quote where he mentions it in the book. He says, I possess no desire to reproduce, nor, and more to the point, no desire to perform the actions of reproduction with no generative goal in mind. And Afi asks him, you mean you don't have sex? He says, I've tried it out, not an unpleasant practice to be sure, but in my case, it's not an imperative, for which I've always have been grateful. Seems to free up the mind insofar as I can judge the minds of other, be- of other beings certainly frees up a whole lot of time and I relish the knowledge that I am the ultimate fulfillment of my ancestral line the point to which all their striving led and it just really you know that last part right there is just so Leox you know he's very much just like it's gonna end with me so you know that's that's part of it but I do also yes love the implied asexuality because we need more of that representation in Star Wars and not every character has to be has to have a romantic interest
1: i do want to say with the uh, Leox point and him saying like i uh, realize that i'm the end of this line and i um i know that i'm the best that i can be but it's also him being totally comfortable in his identity and understanding like i'm perfectly fine just the way i am and not only am i fine i am good and i don't have to worry about this because i don't have to feel less than because um of my lack of of sexual attraction, like that's that's okay with me, and I'm I'm chilling, I'm good. Yeah, you know? You know he's fully. <laughs> I can worry about being a good pilot and a good, you know, good person or whatever, yeah. and not saying you know.
0: But... Yeah, he's just fully embraced it. And I lo- I love that for him. Honestly, it's he's a fantastic character, and I hope we get more of him for sure. So my last bit here is the Barash vow. So I think Des goes through the ringer in this book. You know, we see him really lose his connection to the Force because of how much he's tortured by the not, by the Drengir, and he says he's going to take the Barash Vow, which is his uh, you know, commitment to gaining ultimate connect, communion with the Force. So it's like you could spend years or decades trying to renew that connection, because I just thought it was a really interesting idea that, you know, you can establish a connection to the Force, but it can just as easily be broken, and you could need to rediscover it. And so he's really down in the dumps after he's rescued because he realizes it's almost been tainted in a way. And he needs to almost go back to the beginning, you know, where it all began and and, uh, relearn that path towards the force. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting idea that we haven't really explored. You know, we we often have those superhero tropes of the superheroes losing their power, you know, like Spider-Man 2. It's kind of cool to see that trope carry over into the Star Wars, you know? Uh, the Force isn't always something you'll just keep at all points in time. You know, you can struggle with it. So I think that's pretty, that's pretty neat. Well, Sarah, that about wraps it up. So we're going to close out here with uh, Into the Unknown. Into, the, Into unknown.
1: the Unknown.
0: We have. Cut that out. <laughs> we have four months left until the next slate of High Republic books. It's going to be a oh. long wait. But we got a couple of things holding us off in the meantime. But I think, looking back at these first three books, which we'll have a more comprehensive phase, quote unquote, you know, phase one point five preview in the you know towards the summer where we'll kind of talk about what's next and looking back at this first uh, set of books. But really, I think you can kind of split it up between the Republic, uh, the dangers against the Republic, and the and the Jedi. So. The Republic, mm-hmm. you have this idea, you know, that we learned in this book how these two planets, Arono and Irium, have always kind of conflicted with each other but came together when they got kidnapped and the Jedi came to their rescue and they realized that independence is an illusion and we should be uh, you know, trusting each other because trust is hope and trust is believing in a better future. So like having the Starlight beacon in this very spot where they were rescued so long ago by Vitus. Is kind of that representation of like what the Republic is possible. What's what's possible in the Republic when people come together and don't shut each other out. So I thought that was really cool. But it also kind of brings it back to the idea of, again, is independence actually an illusion or sometimes independence independence? Good, but uh, it's interesting. And then you have the Nile who, if they ever come into contact with the Drengir, uh, the Drengir, by the way, are crazy. Crazy, intense, and scary, and the fact that they can regrow together, and that even the <gasps> even the Sith feared them enough. And they're hunting for me. Yeah, like the Sith trapped them, and they were scared of the of the Drengeer. Like that's terrifying to me. And then you have the Jedi, which we see the cracks forming in in the belief in the Jedi Order, and even Comax says I have doubts about whether the ways prescribed by the Jedi Council are invariably the best course to follow. So I think this is really opening up the idea of the lost twenty. Comac might be one of the the first of that bunch, but we have all these moving parts. Like, what do you kind of see as sort of the overarching overarching picture of what's next? I really think that the Republic and the you know the Jedi is going to really struggle internally. The Republic is going to continue to struggle to bring more people and more planets into their folds. And then the Drengir and the Nile are probably at some point going to link up and be like the ultimate yeah. danger, especially with Martian Roe, who we know is just kind of hell-bent on destruction right now.
1: Yeah, so for me, I feel like this book, as I said at the top of this episode, paints um, actually the kind of most hopeful picture because we have Wreath asking Comac to be his master and he accepts and there's this, you know, I'm, I'll read it, I'll read it. I still have much to learn, Master Comac said. That sounded like even more a no until he added, and there is no better way to learn than to teach. You will be my first Padawan wreath and perhaps my greatest instructor in the force. And I, uh, now that you say lost 20, now you got me thinking, um, because I think wreath might challenge him a little bit, but they also have a similar worldview that I think is, um, or that wreath is coming into what Comac's worldview, you know. With age, kind of yeah. thing. Anyway, um, I think that is a beautiful relationship, and I'm really excited to look uh, forward to where it goes because I love both Wreath and Comac. Um, they're both wonderful, wonderful characters that I identify with and um admire and respect. So I think they're both very, very interesting within the the order. For the Republic, well, I guess I'll, I'll keep talking about the Jedi for just a second here. I feel that the Jedi Order is going to keep doing everything as normal they're going to keep being like we're good we're great we're fine we're good until um until muck hits the fan <laughs> and they can't ignore it anymore now we know that somebody by the name of trenis becomes a member of the lost 20 is that keeve we don't know but i think somebody's gonna to have to drop and drop to the dark side in order for them to finally come to terms with with themselves so i don't know when that's going to happen i feel like they're going to keep going business as normal everybody's going to be doubting in some way we have avar and elzar who clearly love each other i just want them to me too live a happy happy life together um i want them to cuddle um (laughs) uh you know we have vernestra who's this master with a padawan now at 16 which um Renestra's awesome, but that that that's such a mess. Um we have these guys, we've got Orla. You know, everybody's got an issue with the order in some way or everybody's struggling in some way, and nobody's nobody's talking about it. Nobody's talking about it. And I feel like that will continue to be a problem under the surface until it, something finally breaks the surface. With the Republic, um I don't know about the Republic. I don't know how I feel about the Republic. I don't know if I've as formed thoughts about the Republic. Um, cl- clearly at the end of this book, we get um, Queen Thandeka is rebuilding the relationship between Arium and Arono. And that's why the Starlight Beacon is there and the importance of it and the symbolism. And they're on the up and up. You know, they, they defeated the Vine Guild, but I don't, I don't quite know. For the Nile and the Dang- Drengir... Either the Nile and the Drengir are gonna team up and be like, I'm gonna get you a lot of meat. Here's some meat. It's the Jedi. We
0: have the meat. Drengir. Yeah. Um, they're the new Arby's.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um. Or it's gonna be like Nile. We have the meat yeah. for the Drengir.
0: Um <laughs> Parentheses. Somebody please Photoshop that. For the Drengir. Oh my god. I
1: love um that. But uh it either either they're gonna team up or The Nile are going to attempt to control them in a way to unleash them, kind of like what happened in this book. And it depends on what the Drengears, if the Drengear concede to working with the Nile in order to to have more destruction. I don't quite know. Um, I think the Jedi's path is most clear to me at this point, but it's all very interesting. I feel like we have infinite paths here of where these characters are going to go. So that's exciting.
0: So that's it for our, our review and our discussion on Into the Dark. Again, really, really love this book. And it's, it's just so much fun. And I, I probably will reread it, honestly, because it's just that good. I don't reread a lot of yeah. books, but I feel like I could, I could uh, learn or relearn a lot more just from going through it again and, and kind of seeing through the eyes of these characters once again.
1: How many ounces of medicinal spice would you give this? out of five Ooh. the medicinal spice that the vessel is carrying out secretly. of five <laughs> i don't know I I'm, I'm trying to come up with a clever star five rating.
0: spices out of five
1: five spices out of five. <laughs> um yeah i mean same same
0: it's just that yeah, good. It's good honestly I, I stick to my one tweet <laughs> that the only thing claudia gray can't do is write a star wars book that's rated less than five out of five s- spices at this point. point five out of five <laughs> spices yeah. <laughs> But if you enjoyed our book review, we have a lot more to come. So next on Friends of the Force for our book coverage, we have a couple more episodes before then, but our next book will be Victory's Price by Alexander Freed. I have the review copy. I am reading it. Sarah's reading it as well. Uh, That's all we can really say about it at this point because the embargo is Uh, still up for a couple more weeks. So I'll leave it at that. But we are also going to be reading Attack of the Clones, the novelization by uh, R.A. Salvatore. So we are very excited for that. But that's going to be on our Patreon. So if you want to listen to that episode, you can join our Luminous Beings Patreon tier. And we also have our Phantom Menace discussion on our Patreon as well already. So very exciting stuff. But Sarah, where can our
1: listeners find you until our next episode? You can find me on Twitter and Goodreads and Letterboxd at SCH221, where I talk about movies and books and how sad I am sometimes, i be honest with you.
0: I can relate.
1: It's just kind of the way the world works right now. <laughs> a lot of
0: my tweets have just been a mix of sad or standing the hell out of the MCU. And now it's award <laughs> season, so we'll have something happy to tweet about. Yes,
1: movies, movies, movies. Very excited. Actually, we'll probably grumpily tweet about these things because it's all absolute nonsense it's just anyway. A crap right we now, have fun. Yeah.
0: Well, as for me, you can find me at Brad Whipple. You can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Make sure you're following us so you get all of our new episodes. And please, please share this episode wherever you're listening to bring the show to other new listeners and leave a five star rating if you're so generous to help that algorithm boost our podcast up on the charts. You can also join our Patreon at patreon.com slash friends of the force. Thank you to Anna, Brian, Cheryl, Deborah, Donnie, Elegy, Jesse, Heroes of the Galaxy, Knights of Wren, Levi, Lindsay, Marie Claire, Neil, Rachel, Sarah, and T. So thank you all for your support on the Patreon. Thank you all for listening to this two-hour episode. I think Sarah, you and I put together seven hours of seven to nine hours of coverage on the high republic when you put our preview episode in there too so. i'm so sorry <laughs> hey listen that's that's what we do it's great i've had a lot of fun actually and uh even though it's been a lot of editing i have just really enjoyed this ride so it's I hope you've all enjoyed it too listening to our book reviews and uh, talking through this new era in star wars storytelling so it's a very very good time With that being said, everybody, thank you so much for listening once again. And until next time, may the Force be with you always.
1: Bye.